you are listening to the Healthy Project Podcast with your host, Corey Diamolis. For more, go to healthyprojectpodcast.com. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here at the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a wonderful person with me, and um, I say this a lot because I only interview wonderful people, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, when we connected, when was that? That was like... It was several months ago. It was several months ago, yeah. um, and I just remember being there and hearing about the services and the yeah. things and, and the population you serve mm-hmm. and just saying to myself, I think I even said it out loud. Why doesn't anybody <laughs> know about this? Right, right. You know what I mean? So um, I'm so grateful to have Allison Simmons here with me today. Allison, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, before we get into our conversation, can you tell the people a little bit about yourself, yeah. uh, where you, what you do, yeah, what gets absolutely. you up in the morning? What gets me up in the morning is is a sense of hope about mm-hmm. the ability to, to be the difference for many people who um, are often not helped. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that we say in our space is the most harmed are often the least helped. And mm. so we really want to to change that. That's what the Trauma Recovery Center is about. So that's what gets me up in the morning, the ability to actually be the difference right. for people who are wounded and um, deserve to have uh, comprehensive mental health services, you know, as they yeah. try to heal. So that's what gets me up in the morning. Yes. What um, What motivated you to start this organization? Yeah. Well, I will tell you, in my other life, I was mm-hmm. a consultant um, uh, working with a lot of companies, uh, state agencies, um, individuals who just wanted to change their careers, you know, professionals, executives right. who wanted to do something different with their lives. And so um, part of my work was with the Attorney General's Office, their Crime Victim Assistance Division, um, and I was a consultant for them. And um, their director at that time went to California and saw this really comprehensive model of care for survivors of violent crime. And she came back, she just said, this is something that Iowa doesn't have, but Iowa needs this. Mm. And so uh, we met, um, we had lunch, and she was just, she laid it out on the table and just said, I would like to do this here in Iowa, but I don't know how to do it. Uh, Will you help me do it? And uh, at that time, I was really looking for something that really fed my soul. You right. Know, I, I just mm-hmm. needed something. Uh, I was very good at my job. I was very comfortable at my job, but it didn't fulfill me. Right. I knew that there was something more. And when I learned and researched what this model was about, I just said, this is how human beings should be treated and cared for when they're wounded, when they're harmed. Mm. Um, you know, and that's going to look different for everybody, but I just felt like. You know, we, we rush people through the process of healing. Three days bereavement is what you get right. when there's a loss. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy. That's just insane that that is an acceptable yeah. practice. Like, 
what was it that they was like, you know what? It'd probably take you about three days to get over something like <laughs> We're going to give you these three right. days right quick. Right. That That is so bizarre. It <laughs> so was bizarre. insane. Um, and when you think about people who've been victimized, it's not just laws, people who've been victimized, mm-hmm. they, they're, they're, you know, that's just an assault against, um, you know, your, your, our sensibility. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's an egregious offense to harm someone physically. And, you know, people don't think about that. You know, for somebody, it's just a barbaric act right. to be hit, you know. Um, and so one of the things that we did was we just said, you know, we're going to take some time. Um, we put some time together to plan out uh, a three-year plan of what we were going to do in starting mm. the center. And um, it's been incredible. It has just been, it is the honor of my life to do what wow. I do every day. Wow. And the, the space is, is awesome. I, I've been in the yeah. space. It's such a cool space. And, and um there's I remember there was this room where this it's just very you could just feel like it's mm-hmm. a it's a place for peace and just mm-hmm. like very therapeutic. Absolutely. Um so I really, really appreciated that. I was on your website and yeah. I was looking at, you know, your mission statement. And on the mission statement you mentioned the utilization of culturally responsive evidence based practices. Um and so how do these practices enhance the recovery process for survivors of trauma and violence? When people have been victimized, you know, um, first of all, I'll say we take our survivors where they're at. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, you know, we have this perception of an individual who's been harmed, you know. Um, you have to personalize that. You have to right. make their care very individualized, very tailored. Uh, one of the things that we do is we do a comprehensive assessment with survivors. We can do bedside clinical evaluations and assessments to really Mm -hmm. determine what's going on with this individual. Now the trauma happened to them, the victimization happened to them, but there are other pieces that may be necessary to really help this person get to a space of recovery. And so we assess that uh, on a regular basis. And so then once we get that information, we're able to develop a plan of care for that individual. Mm. And so when I when we talk about evidence-based practices, we're talking about psychotherapy. We have uh, two psychologists and two licensed mental health counselors who provide um, clinical care for those individuals that we work with. And we also have a clinical care coordinator who facilitates all the services and supports that that individual may need as part of mm-hmm. their own unique journey to heal. Um, it could be that, you know, perhaps because of this person being assaulted, maybe they lost their job or they lost their housing, mm. you know. And so therapy doesn't matter if those needs aren't met. Yeah. You, you have to get people ready to go through the, tra- to the journey right. of addressing their trauma. Right. You, you said something. I want to touch on that a little bit mm-hmm. more because you said something that um, – I think can resonate not only with the work that you do, but the work that I do, mm-hmm, the work mm-hmm. that other people do, yes. um, is meeting individuals where they 100%. are at. And that is so important mm-hmm. because it's almost like we have this as a, a, help, a helper or someone who mm-hmm. wants to help. Yeah. I know what you need. Yes. 
<laughs> right? Yes. Like, I know what you need. Like, just do A, B, and C. But they're like, I ain't even ready for A, B, and C yet. Right. Like, like, what's going on? You know and, what I mean? And that's why the assessment process, there's a self-reported component mm-hmm. of that, which is that life stabilization that we're looking at. Right. You know, how unstable is this person's life? And it's their own view of that, yeah. not ours. And then we do the clinical evaluation and the mental status exams, all of those different pieces that Mm -hmm. really look at the trauma that they've experienced, whether it's PTSD, maybe they're suffering Mm -hmm. from depression or anxiety. So then we get into that. But we do that Mm -hmm. other piece first. We do the the life stability component first so that we can obviously get them to a place of safety if that's an issue for them. Um, get Get their housing in place if they need that. Um, and so we utilize assertive outreach to do that. Sometimes people get a lot of information on the front end, but people are still in shock. And so they're not hearing what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You're just talking. And so it's really important to slow that down a little bit and give them a time to reflect on what their needs really are from their own perspective mm-hmm. so that we can put some things in place and we can do that with them. We partner with them to do that. We don't just send them somewhere. We, you know, for some of our clients, first of all, I'll say that we serve Polk and the eight surrounding counties. And so our staff will go to Marshalltown. They'll go to mm-hmm. Boone. They'll go to Ames. They will hit the road um, because, you know, therapy doesn't need to happen in an office. Right. Sometimes people can't do that. You know, right. they're not, they don't, they have a transportation barrier, yeah. perhaps. Transportation, even the stigma around yes. being in the office. Yes. And so we will, uh, for some clients who may be senior, we may get them a, a, a laptop so that they can participate in telehealth if that's what they want to do. Um, so we really try to remove barriers to care so that then we can begin focus on really what, what happened to them and how do we move them past that well yeah and i think that's so great because like you said and i can only assume like when someone goes through that experience Mm -hmm. they're not they they their mind isn't thinking about everything and you had said like hey people lose like the aftermath of a a traumatic experience well if you lose your job if you lose your job then you lose your home lose your home like people aren't thinking about some of these things so it's nice to have somebody to kind of help lead you yes. and guide you yes that is thinking about that for you on your be- on your <laughs> yes. behalf yes and so we do um first of all there's a crime that's taken place so mm-hmm. we have to help them navigate that too so it's not just you know um you know the life stabilization mm-hmm. components but we're also looking at what happened to them we share their we share their rights as a survivor of a crime mm-hmm. um and most people don't know you know, I think it's one in four victims actually do get help. Like that right. just doesn't make wow. sense. Mm-hmm. And many, there's so many dollars that go underutilized because people aren't aware that there's crime victim compensation um, that is available. Wait, there's for crime them. victim compensation. Yes. Really? Yes. When you've been a victim of a crime, there are resources that you can be reimbursed for. Now, it doesn't cover everything. But it's, it's, it's an opportunity to, for example, if you missed work, you know, to, to get that covered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's also, we help people with, you know, unfortunately when there's a crime, there's an aftermath, ma- aftermath of that physically mm-hmm. in the space. 
you know. And so we work with crime scene cleanup to help mm. with that, particularly in cases of homicide. It can be thousands of dollars to get those things handled. And people can't, you know, let that go. They have to like, oh, I need to get this handled so then I can kind of deal with the grieving process that I need to deal with, getting them through the funeral, you know. Mm. So that is part of what we do. You know, we help them navigate just the basic things that happen when right. there's been a crime. Right. Can we go further into yeah. the the healing and recovery journey yes. for somebody? Absolutely. And so we already spoke about meeting people where they're at. Yes. Uh, right, right after victimization. Could you describe just what it looks like? Um, and this doesn't, this doesn't have to be like a specific person, but just mm -hmm. kind of give us like an idea of what this looks mm -hmm. like in practice and how your team facilitates this initial crucial stage of healing. Sure. Well, when they come in, you know, like I said, we, we, uh, we alternate uh, clinical care coordination, the care coordination component with therapy. Mm -hmm. So they're not, not just coming into therapy every week. Um, because one of the things that we have to do, because treatment is lasting for up to a year, we have to maintain that stability so that they can focus on treating the traumatic event that occurred. So what does happen is the uh, care coordinator will do an initial assessment. Mm -hmm. um, we meet weekly as a full team, and that's our clinical staff and our care coordination staff. And we staff referrals that we may receive from the community. It may be law enforcement. It may be, um, you know, a social service provider. We get other referrals from other mental health um, counselors as well, um, you know, because there's a different mm -hmm. type of treatment that needs to take place with survivors of crime. Right. You know, and it's a different skill set, I'll say that. And so what we do is we staff those individuals um, on a weekly basis and um, what happens after that referral if they're accepted into the program because there is a degree of eligibility you know our because we're short term we want to focus on recent uh, crime uh, within say the last two to three years we try to focus on that because we don't want to begin services for someone who really is needing long-term therapy right and so that's really not what we do in some cases we'll take them and then we'll transfer them to another therapist for more long-term care right um you know what we do it's not designed to see a mass number of people it really is comprehensive so when we do those assessments we do the evaluation say they've been diagnosed with you know um, a major depressive disorder or something to that effect um, the therapist and the care coordinator will develop a plan of care for that client and they'll develop it in partnership with the client. Mm -hmm. And so the client has to agree to all of this, you know, it's really their journey. Right. And so what happens is they will alternate sessions. Um, and one of the things that we do is we do an evaluation after a, every eighth mental health session every every therapy session we will do that mm -hmm. um, because it's a very structured process process to be able to address what's going on with that particular individual um, some clients may not need to have 16 sessions and we typically look at 16 to 24 se sessions as our target but not every client needs that and not everybody needs that 
you know, if they're in PTSD, maybe they need some EMDR and they're working mm, with them. Mm-hmm. And that might be more short term for that individual, right. but it really varies. Um, it is, it's hard to say what it will look like for every individual person. Right. Because if they are low income, there's going to be more support required on our end. And so we do have what we call client assistance funds to help clients with that. You know, we can perhaps pay the deposit, you know, if they need to relocate, you know, or mm. get, um, you know, cameras if, if right. safety is an issue for them, you know, security cameras, yeah. things like that. Um, so that's part of that life stability piece. But that journey to heal and recover is really a unique experience. Um, sometimes when clients come in, they were already suffering from conditions that happened long before they were victimized and they just weren't addressed. So that could come up mm. in the assessment process. Right. So we have to deal with not just treating the trauma, but maybe somebody has a borderline personality disorder. So, and now you're a victim of a crime. So we have to address that piece of you and then also the trauma that you experience. So it's going to vary. Right. It just depends on who's walking through who's the door. Who's walking through the door. And who's we, walking through the door. Yeah, we meet them where they're at and then just build a, a plan of care from that. Right. When, when, I, when I hear about um, survivors of trauma, um, even now that, now that we're talking, Allison, <laughs> even the, the practitioners that are helping, Right. Mm -hmm. I think about the resilience of that. Huge, huge, huge. And in your experience, what are some key factors that contribute to resilience and recovery in individuals who have experienced severe trauma or loss? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say this, too. That is part of the model. You know, it's not just um, a holistic model of care for survivors, but it is also for the helper, yeah. the team, the people that are providing the services. If you think about it now, so many people are resigning, law enforcement, teachers, yeah. nurses, um, lawyers, people are exhausted, you know. Um, and so resilience is huge, you know. And one of the things that we look at that closely because we don't want an individual who is not prepared to be the best version of themselves in front of a patient or a client. Mm-hmm. Because um, a survivor will hold back if they feel like what they're saying is too heavy for you to hold mm-hmm. as a practitioner. Mm-hmm. And that is critical. They have to be able to let it yeah. out. And if they can't do that because you haven't dealt with your stuff, that's very difficult. That's very, very difficult. And as a professional, that's... Uh, that would be problematic. So yeah. resilience is huge. Yeah. I, how do you, um, what is that process like? Look like. You know what I mean? Like, like, cause I, <laughs> well, there are pieces that, um, as, as, there's a workplace process. There's a, an organizational culture that should be in place for people who mm. do, who work with traumatized people every day. Right. You know, wellness is part of our, uh, philosophy. It's it's embedded in our policies and our procedures. It's not just something that we talk about. Uh, wellness is part of everyone's workday. People have paid time to step away from their desk 
and just be, deal with you. Mm. And in it, it's an expectation, you know. Um, you know, I believe that you can create a space that feels restorative and stu still do hard work and mm -hmm. get the most out of that individual. People are more productive when they feel like you value them as a person and not a product. That's just the reality of it. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and it's also something that we have to practice. If we're working with wounded souls and we have to get them to a place where they're not so focused, um, where they're able to, to really see their successes, even in this journey of a traumatic experience, mm -hmm. because they're more than their trauma. Right. Their lives are more than their trauma and they have to believe that. So resilience and, and the ability to persevere through adversity is significant. It is huge in our line of work. Um, and yeah. I always like to say that we hold on to hope until the survivors can hold on to it for themselves. Um, because that is, um, you know, that's important. Right. And so in terms of practice, you know, uh, really, again, policies and mm -hmm. procedures, number one. That just has to be in place yeah. organizationally. Um, and sometimes people just say self-care. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. And, and to me, it's one more thing. If you're a busy person, it's just one more thing that you have to do. And <laughs> so, so you building it into the workday mm -hmm. gives your team permission to just be human yes. and, and take care of themselves. And so we have a meditation and massage room that is available mm -hmm. for our clients, obviously, yep. and for our staff to just take care of themselves. Yeah. Julie just... gave me permission. She said I could come whenever yes. I want. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. If you see me knock on that door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, our clients um, have the ability to engage. Uh, we have a licensed massage therapist. Um, so our clients can get can experience that on a mm. weekly basis as they're, you know, coming through the process of their care and treatment. We provide therapeutic support services because not everybody, yeah. you know, you just never know what someone's thing is that makes them feel good and feel hopeful. Um, you know, so, you know, maybe they want to, art is their thing. Right. You know, maybe drawing and journaling is important to them. So we have all of those options available for individuals you know, in our space. And we find um, other more advanced folks who may be an artist who can work with them. And we just call that innovative therapeutic support. Mm. And that's really individualized yeah. know, for, the, for the client based on whatever it is that, that you know, gives them joy. Yeah, that's so cool. I, <laughs> I can only imagine that running an organization that is so, that has such a... Um, I like to, I like to say that people who do things like you do they're, they're Avengers, right? What Avengers tackle they tackle <laughs> the biggest bad guys in the world, oh and this is one of those things. But with that, even though it's rewarding, there are challenges. Yes, it is. You, you know what I mean? And um, what? How do you deal with that? Because like mm -hmm. I know there's some unpredictability with the role. Yes. Right. What What is? You know, how do you? deal with understanding you're tackling something so big mm -hmm. um and how do you deal with some of those challenges of that yeah you know this was this is the hardest thing i've ever done in my life you know mm -hmm. um 
the most rewarding, but one of the hardest things I've ever done. And there are barriers, you know, being a woman of color mm. uh, in this space, um, you know, is challenging. It is, is it's difficult. Right. Um, not insurmountable, but it's, it's difficult. And that's a piece that I carry with me every day. You know, you, you know, people receive information um, from various players uh, in the system. You know, um, you know, maybe they receive information better from my my program director than myself. You know, mm. um, there are gatekeepers. You know, sometimes when you're doing something new and different, there is the belief that you're you're going you're trying to change what everybody's doing. No, we're trying to increase access. We're trying to increase, um, you know, services for right. individuals who are not getting them. You know, um, and so it is. It is very difficult. Um, I'm a person of faith, and I carry that with me in all things. And um, I believe that this is just fundamentally the right thing to do as a as a fellow human. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, we are there's a sense of brokenness that's happening in our society right now. People are on edge. Um, people are hurting and they don't know why they're hurting. Right. There's a lot of unaddressed trauma that exists out here now. And when you think mm -hmm. about individuals who've been victimized, it's just a deeper level of pain. And, you know, we're trying to address that. And so I get up every day knowing that this matters. Mm -hmm. This matters to somebody, what we're doing. Somebody needs us to show up today. Right. And, um, and really inspiring our team to reconnect with their why every day. You know, people got, you've got to believe in what you're doing. I, I can't imagine a job where I just show up. You know, and just there. I'm just right. a body. Right. Clock in, clock out. But I don't believe mm -hmm. in what I'm doing. People need to believe in what they're doing. And I hire people who, who care about our mission, who are invested in our mission, and um, realize that it's, it's, it's about the person in front of them. It's the person who walks through the door. Right. And so it is difficult. You know, there is bias that exists in some of our heavily entrenched systems. Mm -hmm. um, it's an unfortunate thing, but I really, I try not to focus on that. You know, I try to focus on what's possible um, rather than some of the barriers that exist for me in doing this, because I feel like if we keep doing good work, the people who need us will find us. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, we've had this conversation about gatekeepers yep. to healing and, um, you know, that's a real thing. That's Man. real. And it makes me sad, to be honest, as a, as a I would never withhold something from someone that could help them be as whole as they could be. Yeah. And and sometimes people do that and they don't realize that they're doing that. And it costs you nothing to connect this person to a place of wholeness. Man. It costs yeah. you nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't going to go there, but I really, you brought it up. <laughs> So <laughs> and, and, and that, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Honestly. Gatekeepers to healing. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit further? Yeah. Like we all understand the definition of gatekeeping. Yes. Um, but in your world, what does that look like? Ooh, you know, 
um, not making the referral, you know, um, you know, literally all people have to do is give us a phone number and say to the person that we're going to call, that's it. Mm -hmm. And nobody gets a bill. The client doesn't have to pay for anything. Wow. When the pandemic was happening, it was interesting to me because, you know, crime was still happening, you know. Right. And we were talking about, everybody was talking about mental health and this and that. And I think it's important. I think it's necessary, obviously. But it was difficult for them to include, you know, our organization in that. That was challenging because, you know, there was no money to be made off of that. We're free. We're not mm. going through insurance. People can just come and get it. But right. if somebody can make a dollar mm. off that individual, I mean, I, I don't want to go there, but that's just the reality that's, of it. That's and the it just reality. made me sad. That's the reality. Though. And because sometimes, you know, for some individuals, that copay is prohibitive for them to access that. Going to therapy every week, if you're going at $50, $60, I don't know what the copay is right now for some individuals. Right. But it, it can be costly. Right. You know? Yeah. But even if it is just $10, that's yeah. $10 to <laughs> for, me could be, ten, be yes, mean differently 100%. for somebody else. 100%. You mean that can be that could be food for the day yes. or you know gas in their in yes. their gas tank. Yes. Right? So whatever the cost is, it, it's a cost for somebody. Yes. And 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 I'll say this, I I want to make sure that I'm clear about this because you know, there have been incredible organizations who um have partnered with us to help us not just serve survivors but also serve the people who work with survivors mm -hmm. um, because you have to do both things at the same time it's kind of like i think about people who work with children mm. and you do all you sew all of this into a young person and then they go home to a dysfunctional environment mm. you know mm -hmm. you know the i think about our work with our staff who work with our clients you know i expect a high level of care from everybody who works in, within our organization that's we excellence is is the standard but the staff are my clients. Mm. And so I need to equip them to be the best version of themselves so that they can sow into those people who walk through our doors or call us, you know, for help. Because survivors are counting on us to get it right. Right. And, um, and so that's an important piece. But the gatekeeper piece of this is, I don't think sometimes it's, it's, people do it knowingly you know sometimes people just do what they do and you know they don't want to change you know right. well, we're used to just sending folks to this place but why right and we get them the sad part is there are referrals that we get maybe two or three referrals later because they're not helped in that environment you know survivors and, and individuals need all of the services that are out here to be made known yes. to them. You know, some th sometimes, um, you know, it's a communication issue, um, you know, changing protocols, you know, whether it's with law enforcement, you know, hey, I'm going to, you know, we have this list that we've traditionally used, right. but we're gonna add this organization because they can actually do, provide free mental health support to survivors immediately. Right. Like, they don't have to wait six months to see a practitioner that's mm. insane to me yeah and then by the time they get to us 
everything, the bottom has fallen out because they haven't been helped. You know, yeah, they went to court, they did all these things, and, and I'm not saying that that's not important because it is incredibly important. Right. But that other piece of, of true recovery, you know, mm-hmm. um, that is put on the back burner. And um, by the time they come to us, you know, when we get a referral too late, it's just, it's heartbreaking to see because maybe they lost their job, their housing, maybe they're homeless now because they were so affected by what happened to them that they mm-hmm. weren't able to function. We have homicide uh, clients who have been victimized to the degree that they, within two months, they lost their job, they lost their housing because it was just devastating to them. Right. And, you know, we didn't get the referral until very late in the process. Mm. And, and so well after victimization, months after victimization had happened. And so then it's kind of like, well, we've done all we can do. Let's see if they can help. And that's yeah. the referral that we should have gotten. Right. But, you know, but because we're able to do those assessments, that's not what occurs typically within a traditional victim serving setting. The assessments that we utilize uh, within our organization um, I, I do think that that could be enhanced across the board so that we can get people where they need to be mm-hmm. in a more timely manner. Right. You know? um, I want to touch on something really quick. I want to go yeah. back just a little bit because um, in the beginning, like when I, when I first, when we first were talking, yeah. um, when you're talking about trauma services, I immediately, my mind went to physical and sexual assault mm-hmm. trauma. Uh, but I understand there's when we're talking when you're talking about trauma, you you work with more than just that population or is it, is it right? Is it just it's not just physical or sexual assault. There's maybe some no, other things no. that you guys work with. Um, you know, um, the types of crimes that that are um, overlooked in terms of people needing help and support mm-hmm. after it's occurred uh, assaults. Um, you know, homicide, mm-hmm. sadly, you know, right. um, that is an area of need, you know. Um, when people have been victimized, it is, um, you know, we, we serve every, every uh, type of crime where it's, a vi- it's mm-hmm. considered a violent crime. That would be sexual assault, human trafficking, gun violence, um, obviously homicide. Um, domestic violence, um, you know, we've, we've had a whole host of clients that fall within that range. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we will look at things on a case-by-case basis, um, you know, so it, it can vary, but that's really what this model was designed to do, is really those more acute, intensive crimes. Right, right. I just wanted to make that known yes. because you never know what somebody who's listening, what they're may know someone going through or maybe going through yeah. themselves. Yeah. So like I just wanted to make sure like if someone's listening yes. or watching, like, oh, that's not that's not my friend or oh that's not me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I want to make sure everybody knows that mm-hmm. potentially they could utilize these services. Oh absolutely. We've actually presented to professionals who realize that happened to me Mm. you know and then will come and seek us as a as a client wow Um, because as professionals you just that's somebody else that's not me and it is 
you know, mm. um, that's a crime, you know, X, Y, and Z is a crime. And they just didn't realize it. But we, we um, sometimes don't see ourselves in people who've been victimized. Well, that'll never happen here. I'm sure, you know, you know, Perry had what it happened in a small mm-hmm. rural community. And you just think that's never gonna happen in a small rural community, but it is happening in communities across this country. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and um, and I do say this that you know there are there is a just a host of unaddressed trauma. There's just so much unaddressed trauma in in our community, and I think it's really important to have conversations mm-hmm. about what is happening in in our families, you know, in our communities. Um, you know, sometimes we know in our own families somebody who's not well and who's struggling with something Mm -hmm. and to not ignore that you know we can't ignore those things you know i remember growing up you know my parents you know my siblings would say hey you know Mm -hmm. recognize that this person is is dealing with some things and you know would in back in the day they would just say stay away from so (laughs) (laughs) yeah but my thing is why isn't that person getting some help why are we getting that individual some help before mm-hmm. the bottom falls out. Right. I understand having people stay out your business, but there's sometimes business needs to be put out there yes. so we can help people. Mm-hmm. Because right? what we hear, we didn't know he'd do that or they'd do that. Right. But we knew that something wasn't okay. Yeah. And and I, I think that we have a responsibility to, to engage and uh, not allow that wound to fester. You know. Yeah. No, that's real. People are affected. You mm-hmm. know, there there is uh, in that particular incident, how many people were affected is just oh. incredible. Teachers, um, friends of you know um, the the victims, um, yeah. school personnel, um, the community at mm-hmm. large, because the principal yeah. lost his life tragically as well. Um, it is, we've just got to do better Yeah. as a society to have hard conversations when we need to. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we can't predict certain things from happening. We can't predict or prevent all things, but there, there are things that we can do. You know, um, violent crime is happening in, in 2020. I think that, um, was it 58% of violent crime was happening in a home, in wow. a resident, residence, and 60% had a relationship, known mm. or family member, some sort of direct connection with the perpetrator. Wow. You know? Wow. We've got to dig deeper yeah. to deal with that. So that says to me that our social networks, there's something askew there. There's something off mm-hmm. there. Something's not healthy in that space. Right. And so um, having conversations about what, where we connect and align ourselves, you know. Right. We've got to encourage people to look for healthy, mm. healthy relationships. Encourage people to look for healthy. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we all, everybody wants all the different things. Healthy should be one of them. 
mentally healthy. Mm. You should be looking for that in a significant other <laughs> or a friend group or whatever. Yeah. Because there's a lot of toxicity out here. Yes. Oh, man. No, that's really, really good. So, so let me ask you this question. <laughs> yeah. um, what does, um, if, we're, if you're able to look into the future, what does a happy, mm -hmm. healthy, and mentally well black, black community or community in general, mm -hmm. what does that look like? To you, Ooh. it you know, I it looks like honest, um, authentic uh, conversations about who we are, what we're capable of. Um, you know, there are stigmas that we need to to address that just aren't helpful mm -hmm. to us as a population of people. And um, I, I'm a big believer that there needs to be a shift in, in just thinking overall. I mean, we talked a little bit about vicarious trauma and, mm -hmm. and resilience, but we're so focused on what's negative and not what's possible. Mm. Everybody talks about all these different health conditions that may affect. Yep. And, and there's no doubt that there are disparities that are real for all of us. But we have to begin talking about what healthy looks like rather than right. all of the things that can happen. Right. And, and um, you know, and I just want to just say this, just as a little side comment. We spend a lot of time in our work dealing with vicarious trauma. People who burn out, they have compassion fatigue, all of the different things because they're so focused on identifying themselves with the trauma of, of survivors, the mm -hmm. trauma of their clients, but not recognizing the victories that are also part of that experience. Right. Because that's what's going to keep them together, you know, and, and not staying stuck on focusing on the pathology of trauma, but the potential of what that person's life can be what they could mm. experience in a healthy space. We've just got to shift that a little bit, um, you know, but healthy for our families is, is honest community, honest conversations. We need to have those in our community. I just don't think we do that enough mm -hmm. uh, in our household, talking with our children about wellness, making it part of the day. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, we just, whew, there are some things that we used to do well mm -hmm. when our family's systems were more intact, but our families look very different now. But it isn't, doesn't mean that it, that those things aren't possible. Right. And, and we just need to have conversations about that. You know, we need to do more parent education. Uh, we need to provide more supports for, for parents. Um, you know, we need to, one of the biggest things that I think has affected, uh, I will say black families in general is the issue of fathers, you know, mm. not having fathers present to the degree that they can be, you know, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other thing because yeah. um, I, I believe that, and this is just my own core belief, mm -hmm. that um, 
men are a medically underserved population. They are, mm. technically. In the eyes of the government, they are. Medically underserved. Yes. Yes. Men don't just engage health services. Oh, yeah. They don't. They got to, yeah. you know, wait till the toe falls off and yep. all of that. And, and so, you know, shifting that, you know. Um, I used to be part of an organization where it was very focused on women's health. And I thought, well, why are we just talking about women's health? Why aren't we mm. talking about men's health? Why aren't we talking about, you know, if you're talking about even like in reproductive health, there was right. such a focus on what women are doing and access to this, this, this. But what about men? Aren't they part of that equation? Men have to be seen as, as a being in their own right in terms of what their own health yeah. needs are. And they're not. We just don't use that in our verbiage, you know. Mm -hmm. And that is a problem, you know. I used to do a lot of outreach programs to target men specifically because I believed that that was going to contribute to the health and well-being mm, of the family system. Right, right. Dealing with that yeah. will be the snowball to oh, improve. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. There's mm -hmm. so much research that talks about, you know, just the actual presence of dad in the home and having that rela healthy relationship with his children and, and, and whether they're together or not, having mm -hmm. a strong co-parenting um, plan in place is just going to add so much right. to the health and well-being of that family unit as a whole. It makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, it <laughs> I mean, makes it sense just, to me, yeah. It's just, that's just the truth. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of research behind that, too, as awesome. well. Awesome. Allison, I want to be mindful of your time. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for you. being here and providing my audience with um, this educational lesson. Let us know more about your um, organization. Absolutely. For those that want to learn more about um, your organization, mm -hmm. uh, what you're, where you're at, mm -hmm. more about what you do, where can they connect with you at? Where can they find you? Well, we are on, uh, on the web. Um, we are the Central Iowa Trauma Recovery Center. And it's just www.centraliowatrc.com. Mm -hmm. And I was spelled out. And um, so we have uh, services available. People can actually um, fill out a, just a very simple contact form and we can reach out to them and have a one-on-one -on -one meeting to talk about the services that are available and whether or not it would fit for them. Um, and they can just call, you know, we're, we're available and ready to assist people where they're at. Awesome. Well, again, I'll make sure I have all of that in the <laughs> description of this yes. episode. Um, but again, thank you so much for thank your time. You. And everybody, thank you for listening and watching the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll let you next time. <laughs>